Welcome back to What's on Your Mind. I'm Dr. Gene Bresson. And I'm Dr. Steve Schlossman. And we're child psychiatrists at the Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds at the Massachusetts General Hospital. Here's what we'll talk about today. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the most difficult and challenging problems we face as child and adolescent psychiatrists, as therapists, and that is uh, taking care of kids and young adults who have anorexia nervosa. And we're really delighted that we have here uh, Dr. Emily Gray, who is the director of the MGH Teen Mentor Program through the Eating Disorder Clinical and Research Center and a staff child and adolescent psychiatrist at Massachusetts General Hospital. And her patient, Nicole, who's a 16-year-old who's really gone through major issues with anorexia. And um, it's really great to have you both here and be able to talk with us and talk with each other about what you've gone through. So, Nicole, could you just tell us a little bit about your story? Well, it started in the middle of sixth grade when I was 12, and I didn't think that I had a problem, but my teachers and friends and parents noticed that I was, like, different, I guess. (laughs) And so they brought me to the doctor, and I was diagnosed with it. And then the first two years I went through treatment, I, like, didn't talk to anyone. And then, but I got, like, a little better. I just didn't talk to anyone. And then I relapsed and they thought that I should go on medication because I was also depressed. And so then I went to see Dr. Gray and she was the first person I talked to, and then I think that after that, I started to actually, like, make actual progress in recovery, but there was still a lot of ups and downs. So you're 16 now, and it was 12 when it started? Yes. Did you think you had a problem when you began? No, and I was kind of mad at everyone. I, wa- I like wanted everyone to stop bothering me because I didn't think it was a problem and people were like always on my case about it. I just wanted people to leave me alone. Well, so we, let me just make sure I understand. When, when you say, so, so people got worried. So they saw you losing weight, is, that, is mm-hmm. that right? So they saw you losing weight. Were you aware that you weren't eating or weren't eating as much? Yes, but I wasn't aware that it was a bad thing. Right. So that's that's such, a, such an important point, which is why I wanted to stress it. Like a, a lot of times when, when kids start out with eating disorders um, like anorexia, they're eating less, but they don't see it as such a bad thing. In fact, there's all sorts of messages out there that tell them that this is a good thing to, you know, lose some weight. And then you said you went for two years without talking to anybody. Did you mean that you weren't sent to talk to anybody or that you refused to talk to people? I refuse to talk to people. So you're like, you are, you are not going to get me to talk about this, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let me, uh, let me just ask, what got you to talk? I'm not really sure exactly, but I, like, when I started seeing Dr. Gray, I, I like, kind of instantly felt comfortable, and I just never really felt comfortable talking to the other people that I saw. So the match was right. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Gray, 
maybe from your perspective, what was it like, you know, when you first started working with Nicole and how did things change over time? Yes. And Nicole kind of gave a really good description of kind of the circumstances of which we met. Um, so she had a current team and I was kind of being called in to decide or make decisions if medications would be useful. And I think after our first meeting, everyone came back and said, wow, she actually spoke and, and opened up to you. And I remember thinking that I didn't really get that much out of her. So I was kind of shocked, first of all, um, <laughs> that the team had that impression. But I remember really connecting or, or enjoying sitting with Nicole, despite the fact that I think she was suffering a lot. And I also really found certain aspects of her very intriguing and interesting. So for instance, she was a ballet dancer and she was really struggling with some injuries. Um, so that was really preventing her from being able to dance. And I, I thought that that was really um, a compelling part of her story. Also something else. So Nicole, obviously she was talking about not speaking with people, but she had registered to take this public speaking class in high school. So I knew she was quite courageous and brave. So I, that was another piece that I was like, wow, this, this girl has some spunk in her. So I think that, I think the fit was really something that we both felt when we first met each other. And I really wanted to explore what being a dancer was like and the elements of that loss of that while she was injured and how that really played with perhaps the the relapse of her of her anorexia. That's such a key point. So you you started talking to her about dancing. You you were interested in the things she was interested in and that actually gave well, if I'm hearing this right, that gave you kind of permission to talk about the whole story, not just the dance. Is Yeah. What what do you remember her asking you? I'm just curious. Well, I don't remember exactly, but like when she talked to me about dance, I felt like she kind of understood like me because most people like when I talked about it I was like really passionate about it and everyone was just like oh whatever like it's something that you like to do but like when she actually wanted to talk about it I was like oh like she understands like this is important to me so like I can tell her more about like me and stuff. So by her acknowledging how much this mattered to you um, which was real I mean she wasn't just saying it, it was real that allowed you then to tell her you know, this is what has happened to my dance as I've been struggling with this with this eating problem. Yeah. Nicole, some people think that um, high-performance requirements like dancing or athletics or figure skating or things that are really, really require a lot of precision are very stressful. I mean, did you find that to be a difficulty in the course of your anorexia? Uh, or was that actually something that actually made you feel really, really good? Both. <laughs> so in the beginning, well, obviously when I was younger, I just liked dancing. Like it was just fun for me. But around the same time that I developed my eating disorder, I also got a lot more intense about dancing and I wanted to be a professional dancer. And so then... I feel like it became a lot more stressful for me and I was always like like very, I got a lot more competitive and I think that I kind of refused to accept that it wasn't completely a good thing for me at the time 
because I loved it. But I think it wasn't until like last spring when I realized like maybe I like professional dance isn't like what's for me. Like I kind of want to just dance for fun again. And so I think now I think that dance is it's fun for me again and I really like it and I think it helps me now. But at the time, I think it could have gone either way. Well, so on that note, because that was, that was a really interesting, you know, answer. It could have gone either way, but now you're re- you're back to enjoying yourself, to having fun. It sounds like you made other changes that you know, with with Dr. Gray's help, maybe in your life that were actually hard to affect. Otherwise, w- what'd you do? Like, what were some of those changes? <laughs> She's looking at me. Yeah, Dr. Gray looks like the arrows on you now. I know. So I think there were. I think. I mean. Uh, with with being a dancer, and this is kind of how I conceptualized it, you have to be so um, – and, and I learned this actually through working with Nicole. Like especially if you're dancing with a partner, you have to be so aware of what's going on around. You have to be listening to the music. You have to be coordinating your body. And you really have to be suppressing a lot of pain because I imagine standing on your toes is quite painful. Um, and so a lot of the work that we did was actually – force Nicole to look more introspective and actually not ignore pain and not ignore body signals. And I think by allowing herself to do that, she also looked at other areas of her life. So for instance, looking at, you know, friendships, looking at school, looking at other things and kind of really listening to her body and her thoughts and like, is this a good fit for me? Or am I just really plugging away at something really hard because, you know, society or my parents or my teachers tell me to. So I think she made a lot of subtle changes along the same lines as what she did with dance and, and making it more aligned to maybe the fun or the benefit of things rather than just doing things for the sake of doing them. Those aren't easy changes to make. Those are hard. Was it hard to, to make them, Nicole? Uh, yes, but I was kind of at a point where I had to change a lot of things in my life because it just wasn't working. So, so you sort of hit that point where you were like, I guess that same tenacious spirit that made you sign up for public speaking, you're like, mm. this this has to change for me to move forward. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. When you were struggling with anorexia, or maybe you weren't struggling, when you were in the middle of it, were you able to look at anything else but your eating or your weight or your, you know, how thin you were. I mean, what were you looking at when you were when you were really having a hard time? You mean like what I was focused on? Yeah, what were you focused on when you weren't focused on all these other other important things about yourself? Um I mean, that definitely took up most of my focus or my time. It was thinking about that kind of thing. But I guess I would I'm kind of a perfectionist and <laughs> I would always worry about getting straight A's or like ballet you have like nothing's ever perfect and everyone expects it always to be perfect so like I'd always stress out like everything I did at dance I was like oh I need to do better at this I need to do better at this so, so can you learn to live with imperfection now uh <laughs> yes <laughs> That's a great achievement. That's huge. Really. It's a big change. Now, you mentioned, or maybe Dr. Gray mentioned, depression. 
were there some really tough times? Um, yes. Last year was the worst for depression because, um, so I had gotten surgery on my hip in the April before, so I had just gotten to start dancing again in the fall, and then I found out that I had to get the same surgery on my other hip, and so that was really upsetting because I had already been out of dance for a long time, and Sometimes I don't really know what to do with myself when I'm not dancing because I do it a lot. And so that was really hard. And then I had some problems with friends at school, which was hard as well. And then a friend from an eating disorder support group that I went to had committed suicide. So that was also really hard. Wow. And then... I ended up relapsing again, so I went to Clarman, and that was, um, I'd say it was helpful for my eating disorder, but not so much for the depression, and when I came back, I was, like, really overwhelmed, because I had missed so much school, and I hadn't seen people in so long, and it was kind of hard to manage, and then I realized I just I needed to go to a different school because it wasn't really working for me. So I auditioned for Walnut Hill, which is um, a ballet school, and I didn't get in, which I don't know why I expected to. I auditioned um, right bef- the week before I was supposed to get surgery, so my hip was injured, and I hadn't danced all year, and I was sick. So, <laughs> but I didn't get in, and... So then I just decided, like, I didn't want to try anymore. And so I did attempt suicide. And I think that that was, like, an ultimate low point for me. And I figured, like, from there, like, it can't get any worse. And so I feel like I was able to, like, really look at, what was important and like how to make my life better and to be happy again. So did Dr. Gray mm-hmm. help in that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Gray, what, what did you, what did you see at that very low point? I mean, that's a very powerful story and you know, you had multiple setbacks, multiple losses and being a perfectionist, I mean, must've been pretty awful for you. So how was it for you as her therapist? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, echoing that it was a hard year and, and, and one, of the, one of the kind of difficulties with, you know, treating someone with anorexia and depression is they, they want to put on a good front. They want to kind of let people know that they're okay. And, and so it was, I think, with the depression and, and uh, different things, Um, sometimes it was hard with communication and I knew there was a lot under the surface, but I think that it was difficult to necessarily communicate. And I think you summarized it so beautifully. And I think that kind of shows the tremendous work and kind of the progress that she has, she had made, but in the midst of it, I think it was very confusing and overwhelming and, 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 you know, we didn't have a lot of, um, 
the nice kind of ability to take a step back and, and look at the bigger picture. So I think I was very worried and concerned and um, during that time. And at the same time, I was keeping hope because I knew that she had had success in the past. And, and I knew that she was a really hard worker and we would get through it. Um, but yeah, there were a lot of scary moments in there. So, Was Dr. Gray's hope important to you? Yes, because at that point I had obviously lost a lot of hope and I feel like my parents at some point kind of did as well. Um, They just didn't see, like my mom, like one day she was just so mad. She was like, I'm not going to keep bringing you to appointments. Like you're not even trying to get better. I'm like done doing this. It's been so long. And so at that point, I was like, well, I I can't. So I guess Dr. Gray kind of was the only person <laughs> for a little while. Wow. That's a pretty intense story. Like, is that weird for you to tell now? Or... Yeah. <laughs> a little. I mean, I was really surprised when... My mom kind of gave up because she's not really like that. But looking back, I mean, I mean, she went a long time before she said that. So it's <laughs> true. Well, how are you doing now? Um, pretty good. Can't well, complain. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're dancing. Are you dancing? Yes. Okay. Um, and you're having fun with dancing. Yeah. What else do you do for fun? Um. Well. I hang out with my friends from my new school, and in the winter I ski with my family, and I got a puppy. Oh, oh that's, that's so great. <laughs> was, that, was that like, a, did Dr. Gray write a prescription purchase no. on a puppy, or what kind of dog? I'm just curious. It's a multi poo. Oh, we have a dorky poo. He's, or, or no, we have a, a dorky. Sorry, he's a Dotson Yorkie. He's seven pounds. He think, he's like Joe Pesci in the movies. It's a different idea, but. My dog, he was supposed to be 10 pounds and he's like 20. We don't know what happens. <laughs> he's a big boy. He's bigger than both his parents. <laughs> well, I have a cockapoo who's 23 pounds. <laughs> we have, we have he, he's stuff. my pal. Um, it's great to have, an, have a pet. Yeah. So, so can you tell us a little bit about, you know, I'd summarizing it. What helped you the most in terms of getting better and maybe what you would recommend to other kids and parents out there who are struggling with the same kinds of things that that you were struggling with? I think that Dr. Gray was probably the biggest, like most important part of my treatment because she was kind of there through like the worst parts <laughs> and I guess like having someone who like understands and like who can talk who like you can talk to that was helpful and she like knew me better than I like me like she knew what I was thinking and I didn't even know so, that so was she really cool. understood you yeah <laughs> so having a therapist that really gets you helps you understand yourself yes wow it's a good place to wrap this up. It's a great place to wrap this up. <laughs> Dr. Gray, any final words I, from you? I'm, I'm very touched and moved. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> um, I think that, you know, what we're hoping is to give everyone hope 
that recovery is possible. And I think recovery is not a smooth pursuit. And sometimes there's, you know, bumps along the way and it's, and it's easy to get frustrated. And, you know, as long as someone on the team is holding hope, whether it's therapist or Nicole or mom or someone on the team, I think that's so, that's so important. And I think Nicole has really, has taught me a lot because I think that there, with Nicole, there's always been so much under the surface that I knew and sensed was there. And I just was hoping to help her be able to feel comfortable to let it out. And I think if people can find that space for themselves with a therapist, I think that that's, you know, a huge component in, in getting um, treatment and, and, you know, getting through it. So, and I think that's, that's all I had. <laughs> well, I want to thank you both. I mean, this is incredibly moving. And um, Dr. Gray, thank you. You've My obviously pleasure. done a wonderful job. And Nicole, you have too. I mean, this is one of the most difficult things for anybody to kind of overcome. And, um, you know, you're a real trooper. And I, I really appreciate your honesty. And I'm sure the listeners will be inspired. Therapy works. And um, uh, it, it does have its up and downs. So if anybody would like to comment about this, send us your thoughts, read the blog, and we would love to hear your feedback. I'm Gene Baressi. And I'm Steve Schlossman. Thank you. See you next time. <laughs>